Hello and welcome, welcome all to You Uplifted, the place where open hearts and open minds can come together to talk about and discover new ways in which to heal, grow, and fully step into their true potential and power. My name is Safa and I am your host. I am an intuitive healer as well as a women's health and wellness life coach and I have a wonderful show in store for you today. I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Yael Rosenstock. Yael joined me via Zoom for this call and we had a couple of snafus. So just a bit of a warning, the audio isn't perfect. However, the interview is amazing. And let me give you a little bit about her. Yael is a queer polyamorous New Yorican Jew. She is a sex coach, researcher, author, speaker, and curriculum developer, as well as the founder of Kaleidoscope vibrations LLC and I really really enjoyed speaking with her so without further ado here is Yael welcome back Yael and I say back because we did record before and the tech gods were mean to us so I'm so grateful to you for coming back and welcome welcome (laughs) thank you so much happy to be here again Oh my goodness, Yael. Well, I'm actually really glad that we were able to do this again because it's really nice to connect to someone like you and just to hear so many different points of views. And our conversation, the original conversation was so interesting that I just want to keep delving into it. And uh, for the listeners, would you please give us a little bit of a story as to who you are and the work that you do individually and through your company as well? Sure. So I am a sex educator, coach, writer, speaker, curriculum developer, but basically my, I focus, I use inclusivity and diversity as my focus in the work that I do around consent and pleasure, desire, and embodiment, as well as partnering styles. And so basically the idea is to think about all these different aspects of sex and sexuality and to recognize all the different folks that are involved. And my company specifically is also dedicated, Kaleidoscope Vibrations, LLC, to helping folks find confidence in their identities and in finding that confidence, also find community. I love that. I really love that. And I've heard you talk in the past about how you wrote a letter to yourself. And from that letter, you started developing all of the things that you're doing. And I just love that concept because it feels like such an important part of healing to be able to love and connect to our inner child, right? In order to heal a lot of core wounding. Um, Would you be able to speak to that a little bit and the discoveries that came about from your self conversation? (laughs) Sure. I love that you called a letter. Um, I wrote a book about sex positivity and within the book, I intertwined my own narrative so folks could feel connected and see themselves reflected. And I got to say, I, I thought that I was much further along on my healing journey than I was Mm. because writing this book that is meant to create spaces for positivity and positive knowledge while, while avoiding negative circumstances, right? Helping people avoid the negative it made me have to confront my negative stories. And that was difficult. It was difficult at points to get through certain sections of this book. Um, But I do, it helps with the fact that like, and I always talk about this with others that trauma will not disappear. It's not that after a few years, it'll be like it never happened. Everything that happens in our lives stays with us. And it's just a matter of how strong those vibrations are and whether or not we carry that in a certain way or another. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it has, 
my negative vibrations have led to very positive vibrations and helping others find what they need, their validation, their safety. But it does mean that sometimes I get reminded, sometimes I have flashbacks and sometimes I have trauma responses and that is what it is. And that is what my life will look like. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that because to me, there's two things that stand out as I hear you say that. One, it's the validation that it's okay if you've experienced trauma to still have those moments and that it doesn't make you a lesser person just because you can't quote unquote, let it go or move on. I feel like those words get yes. thrown around a lot and they feel yes. very dismissive mm-hmm. and, and hurtful, right? Especially when you've experienced something that really is that jarring, not just to your mind, but your body and your soul altogether. So I love that you're saying that because to me, that's powerful stuff. Um, and I, I love the fact that you are basically speaking to the, what I find to be one of the key truths about sharing in the light, which is a lot of times you pick from your shade that you've transformed and that's what you use to help others. Because I think if nobody had experienced the same thing, it would feel, I think, a lot more empty. To me, the fact that you've experienced something similar with someone else, even if it's a different perspective, even if it's completely unique to each person, the fact that you're able to empathize and sympathize and say, hey, you're not alone in this, that's tremendous. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of the, the pain that folks have encountered is not unique, right? We, we often think that we're the only ones or that this happened to us. Maybe we blame ourselves for the things that have occurred. And the truth is that pain is not unique. And so being able to recognize that things are not your fault, that you did not bring things upon yourself by reading other people's stories and uh, empathizing with them is I think really powerful and important. So in addition to my own stories in this book, I actually asked others to contribute so that if I hadn't experienced something that I thought was important, that there was representation of that that narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, beautiful. Especially to me, when it comes to sex and sexuality, there are very key traumas that each of us go through. And it doesn't have to be always about a violation, but it's also about the, like not a physical violation, I mean, but it also comes to do with the violation of a mental, emotional, and internal self. You know, to me, yeah, to me, I've experienced trauma, sexual trauma in my life. But I've also experienced the mental, emotional, and almost soul-based trauma of feeling like who I truly was, was dirty, was obsolete, was not acceptable, was wrong. Mm -hmm. And all of the shame and all of the guilt that gets put on top of you, on top of whatever else you already have going on in terms of sexual trauma, that really affects you. Because I found in my grown life, having a really difficult time, and I still do sometimes, feeling comfortable with my partner sexually, or even feeling comfortable in my own sexuality. I mean, it took me so long to finally be able to stand up and say, this is who I am. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And to start setting boundaries and finding ways to actually invite opportunity to connect and to draw the line whenever I needed it and to have that respect be mutual between parties. So it's to me, it's one of those things that it's so particular when it comes to, again, sex and sexuality. Um, what would be your advice, maybe like your top three key points in terms of dealing with finding ways to embody consent a bit more freely, drawing boundaries, and even 
finding new ways in which to heal your relationship to self and sexuality. And I know that that is like a super broad question. <laughs> so take as long. Yeah. And it was like five questions in one. So yeah. I might have long. to repeat. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Take as long as you need to. For with sure. one example. <laughs> um, because I can do one at a time. So insofar as ways to what I hear is like folks to really concretize how consent works and to work on like the forms in which you're communicating and whether or not they're clear is to literally just write down. I, you know, how is it that you tell folks, whether it's verbally or physically, that you are consenting to something? And so I ask people to, to say, okay, when you really want something to happen, whether it's sexual or not, what are the ways that your body responds? And what is it that you verbally say? And then when you don't want something to occur, what does your body physically do? And what do you say? Yeah. And after you've listed those things, it's A, being aware of what it is that you are in fact doing, because a lot of us might not realize. And two, the next part of the activity is how clear are these? How universal are these to other people? And so if you have a freeze response, which my trauma came from a freeze response, that should be clear to folks because we should be teaching people that a freeze response is definitely not consent. Mm-hmm. But in the case that the person that you're interacting with does not recognize that because they don't want to, how is it that you're going to, um, to help people get out of navigating that situation, right? So if you know you have a freeze response, then preparing yourself in other ways or telling another person, hey, if I freeze, this is me telling you that this is not consensual. Yeah. Right. So you feel like you have a little bit more control. It will not, it does not in any way protect you from violent sexual offenders because that's just not the same thing. But perhaps if it's someone that cares about you, being very clear about those boundaries may help them recognize your signs. Um, I do think in general, I believe that it it isn't that difficult generally to recognize when someone's not feeling good about a situation, Mm -hmm. but but I, I do think it can help to verbalize what it is that that looks like so that when you're engaging with folks that they're aware of whatever it is that may not feel clear to them, but feels very clear to you and that that communication can help move things forward. Yeah. And the same for pleasant, right? Like you might not want them to say, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Cause they're concerned around consent and that can feel unsexy. And so you can tell them when I do this, it means that I'm really okay. <laughs> yes. I'm loving this and keep going. This is a very good sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. I, I really resonate with what you're saying. Cause it's also one of those key elements of even being in a relationship, right? I mean, even if it's a friendship or whatever type of relationship, it doesn't have to be romantic, but it's the ability to be able to speak your truth and be heard and set those boundaries in a way that you're going to feel valued, respected and seen. Right. And that's not always easy. I love that, Yael. And the the other couple of parts to that question had been in terms of advice for us being able to, because to me, what you also just said also resonates with the fact that we don't always know ourselves and we don't Mm -hmm. know how to drop into our bodies. As a matter of fact, we usually do the opposite. We dissociate. Yes. So it's difficult for us to know, oh, that's like a good touch, bad touch type thing. And then you draw into that all the traumas and all of the stories that go into sex and sexuality. So my point, uh, my, my original question had been, 
what would be some advice that you could give the listeners in terms of how to reconnect to self and maybe embrace that part of yourself so that you feel more comfortable that way you can then verbalize and say hey for consenting and boundaries and all of this yeah i would say lots of folks talk about the importance of getting to know your body through masturbation and through touch of self Mm -hmm. because for some people trauma is held in physical space and so if it's held in physical space and you are touching yourself and you have a negative interaction with it you will know that there is a trigger point in your body and then you could work that through with someone else, right? With a sex therapist or with a, a therapist, but that'll help you know that part. But in general, in a more positive note, you can learn what it is that you enjoy. However, as someone who is very sexual and I can definitely masturbate, I end up feeling significantly more aroused by the interaction with the other human being. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it has to do with thinking about in advance, what are the types of activities I'm willing and interested in engaging in? So that if something not on my list arises, I can firmly and confidently say no. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can firmly and confidently say yes when things that I do want to engage in arise. And if there's some maybe that I can say, I'm going to pause the situation because that's what I need. I need to pause the situation. So training myself to ask for those things was an important part of healing and for finding confidence and being able to engage in ways that made me feel safe and secure and cared for within sex. And there are some really great trauma-based sex folks like Jim and Aka on um, Instagram. And I just had a conversation with some great folks um, from Afrosexology, from Anod Wright, about the ways in which your body can um, change and shift. And so for me, I had a very physical trauma response. My body would uh, shake and I'd get really cold. And I recently had a trauma response that was purely emotional. And I didn't recognize it for two days because I was so used to the physical. And so it's constantly a learning process of like how your body and your mind are evolving. And these uh, people, some of whom are therapists said that sometimes as you move on to a new step of healing, then your body releases more. It's Mm -hmm. like you are ready for the next thing. And so it was a, for me, it was a stark contrast, but it was great to now be moving into a new form of recognition. Wow. That, oh, wow. I love that. Cause it's a constant, I'm always saying you're never going to just master something and then move on. It's always a constant practice. And then there's many different ways in which it presents itself to you again. Right. So you think you've learned, learned the lesson or you think you've healed something, yeah. but then it mutates. <laughs> yeah, it mutates or it transforms. And then it, it just gives you a new venue through which you can look at that and assess it and heal it and embrace it and do whatever it is that you need to do with it. So yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. And you mentioned masturbation, but to me, and maybe we can get a little bit into this too, is I was raised religiously in a very particular Mm -hmm. way. I mean, you and I have discussed this a little bit before, but it just for the listeners to give you a bit of a quick quick brief story is I was brought up Baptist but then my mom discovered something about her family and then me specifically because my three brothers were already out of the house was brought up Jewish later so um, (laughs) it's always an interesting people are always like what Um, but we don't have time to get into that today but the reason I bring it up is because to me in both camps both areas of religion and spirituality that that I had encountered at a very early age in my formative years had made it seem like all of that was 
unacceptable. It was dirty. Mm -hmm. It was filthy. It automatically made me a worse person. So like I came across so much of that, that sometimes even now as a grown person and as a very sexual person, I still find myself freaking out (laughs) that I'm like masturbating, you know? So advice in terms of how to even confront that as well. Yeah. So we take we take the lessons that we learn and we internalize them. And so when we're told that there's something wrong with touching our body or that feeling good via self-stimulation is um, sinful, it, it's a process and it's a form of trauma, right? To unlearn those kinds of negative messaging. And I, I keep naming folks, but Rebel Sex Faith on Instagram, her work is specifically around undoing that form of trauma, mm-hmm. religious-based ne- uh, sex negativity. I think that, I, I am not a trauma specialist. And so that's why I tend to name folks who I know are, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like letting yourself explore and pushing because I know people end up sometimes getting very upset, like crying and, you know, hi, having just some sincere levels of shame from, from that. But I think that for me, when I engage in things that push me, I try and push to a point that feels uncomfortable, that doesn't feel destructive, does not make me yeah. feel destroyed. And sometimes you need to push further in order to make greater success. But since I do not have a therapy background, I'm more just like, let's see how far we can go without really feeling like you're harming Mm -hmm. and then to keep moving forward. But I generally, I would just suggest to speak with someone who is in fact trauma. Specializes in trauma. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because they're going to know more. Yes, absolutely. No, completely agree. And I like that though, because the idea of stepping into the discomfort is mm-hmm. one that I work with a lot because that's, I feel, where we find the most amount of development a lot of the time is where we step into that discomfort. Gently, by the way, I, I'm not a firm believer yes. in forcing or trying to make something happen. I think that mm-hmm. organically, when things start to really allow themselves and when you move through something more in that natural space, it creates a lot more healing. So yeah, but I yes. I appreciate that 100%. What I, what I would say though is to be gentle and kind to yourself. So I feel like yeah. folks... Like when they masturbate, they're like, I must orgasm or I have failed at my masturbation, <laughs> right? And like, that is something I feel comfortable talking about. Like you didn't, you had not failed your masturbation. Masturbation is an opportunity to touch yourself, to experience pleasure, to like just navigate and explore. And so if you do not orgasm, that is okay, whether it's in sex or if it's in solo sex or partnered sex, right? Like you yes, are there yes. for your own experience and for potential experience of others, but there is no reason to judge your own performance based off of a random goal that you don't need to be setting for yourself. And so I know people who have worked on undoing that sort of sex negative religious trauma Mm -hmm. and that it took them a long time and a lot of tries to ever reach an orgasm. And the first time they orgasmed, they cried because of the relief of having gotten to that goal. So it's not that they orgasm now every time, but like they have now, they now know that they can, that it happens and they're working on that relationship too, but it's all like steps. And so to be, to be kind and loving and gentle with yourself and to recognize that you're taking steps and that there's no reason to have to jump and that you are your own like measurement of that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So important. And I believe you're one of the first people I ever heard talk about that. The fact that you don't have to have an orgasm every time. And it cracks me up because it's something that I think in our society actually goes more the other way around. It's a point of shame again. When it comes to sex and sexuality, I think that guilt and shame get thrown at us a lot as a means of almost control, kind of like putting us in little boxes. Well, if you don't do this, then you, you know, you're wrong for doing that. If you are willing to do that, then that makes you a slut. And then if you don't orgasm, them every time, then you're, there's something wrong with you. But the freedom that comes from the knowing that that is not the case and that there is so much space there for growth and healing and presence. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah. And it's really important to like recognize the difference between you are not orgasming because your partner is not caring enough to do the things that help you reach orgasm, mm-hmm. like and support you in that versus you are not orgasming because your body simply doesn't orgasm. And realistically people of all genders can orgasm it just is a matter of like how long it takes but sometimes your body just goes in another direction Mm -hmm. and so i think that orgasm isn't can be very important and should not be just thrown under right there's an orgasm gap that is not that is not because people with vulvas can't orgasm it's because often partners who are male identified and cis don't participate in sex in a way that is in fact useful for folks with orga- uh, with vulvas to orgasm, mm-hmm. but the pressure should not then be on the people with vulvas to, to always make that happen. Cause it's not a matter of like you are wrong or broken. It's like a matter of communication and finding the things that work for you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh, I love that. Yale. Well, moving on to something a little bit more, <laughs> let's go deeper into this. Um, so when it comes to sex and sexuality, I know that a lot of us have been coming across these boundaries that we, in terms of boxes, like we all kind of say, oh, you know, I, I, I only fall into this line. And so I like to only look at myself in this direction. But one of the mm-hmm. things that I love about you is that you work with the fluidity in terms of, hey, we don't have to box ourselves up. A lot of us look at things differently. Some of us feel like this works. Some of us feels like this doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so much still misconception and miscommunication in that realm. So what would be maybe like your key point to us to help us embody that fluidity a little bit better and to understand it a little bit more? Yeah, I feel like it's it's definitely a work in progress for me all the time. <laughs> um, it's something that I believe in that if we name it's it's more helpful. And I'm gonna I'm gonna explain actually the reason that I named my company Kaleidoscope Vibrations in relationship to this. Um, for those who don't know what a kaleidoscope is, it's like a a long cylindrical thing where at the bottom there are all these colors. And so every shift that you make in that kaleidoscope creates the new beautiful image. And the idea is that every vibration or event in our life creates a new beautiful us. And so in addition to being aware that all of us come to life and come to our circumstances differently with different experiences, we are constantly evolving and everything that occurs to us or that we participate in has a shift and can influence the way we move forward. And so in the same way that I had that trauma response that was completely new for me, it was very different from my former ones, it I I sat with it. It was a moment of self-reflection, like, what is leading to these emotions? What is causing me to have this sort of reaction that is different from what I am used to? And, and it was that, it just required patience. It required talking to people, trying to figure out like what could be the cause and being willing to sit with those feelings of discomfort and sadness to discover mm-hmm. the answer. And so I think that for a lot of it, insofar as 
being able to make those shifts is being willing to not know the answers and being willing to be like, well, even if this is what I've always looked like in this scenario, what does it mean if I look a little bit different? And how do I, how do I respond to that in a way that isn't um, critical, self-critical? Yeah. Yeah, not self-depreciating. I like that. Mm -hmm. I really like that. So in terms of how we set boundaries within ourselves, Mm-hmm. and with the people around us, what are some of the most pervasive issues that you find come, come across or that presents themselves whenever we're dealing with doing in that process? Is it just communication or is it something a little bit deeper? So I think that what would be a pervasive issue is this concern around your partner. So um, something I talk about is like fear of rejection versus fear to reject. Mm. And there's so much for those who are experiencing fear to reject, there are so many different reasons that that might exist. And so there's the extreme spectrum where like you are afraid they will kill you, which is a real possibility, right? Mm-hmm. In the US and in other countries that they will, someone will kill you for rejecting them or someone will fire you or someone will harm, do some sort of harm. But then there's the other reasons that are more interpersonal insofar as you don't want this person's ego to be Um, harmed or you don't want that person to not feel positive during a certain experience and so Mm -hmm. because of that you don't respect your own boundaries and you do something for someone else that is not positive or feel safe to you and so I'd say that that's pervasive this desire to take care of the other person at your own expense and I really believe sex is meant to be something that's pleasurable and exciting for all members involved. It doesn't mean that every act you do is something that you really love, but every act you do should be something you feel secure in doing. And that if you are doing it because someone else loves it, that you are feeling positive about that rather than I'm doing this despite it harming me because it is helpful for them. Mm. And so like setting those kind of boundaries, like what can, what do I do that I really love for myself versus what do I do that I really love for my partner? And I love the feeling I get of having my partner be happy. Versus what am I doing to make my partner happy that actually makes me feel shitty? And that's a boundary that you need to cut off. um, And is like part of having that consent and communication conversation. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I'm like, I'm taking a second because I'm really digesting that. (laughs) So it was really good. Um, And I know that you offer um, identity exploration coaching. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that process is like and what drew you to it? Of course. So I am a white presenting Latina who is Jewish and queer and polyamorous. And growing up, I didn't know what boxes to click. I was like, well, I'm definitely white, but I'm also definitely Latina and I'm Jewish, but my mother's Catholic. So people call me Christian. Yeah. And I'm, I was like, I'm not a lesbian and I'm not straight but like, and bisexual didn't feel right either. So I was just like super confused and I felt like I didn't make sense and I didn't belong. And so I really had issues filling out forms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And that being able to find confidence in who I am and being able to recognize that the world is so so much more complex than the boxes that that are created around us was really liberating and helped me find confidence and community. And so my work centers around that idea that we are complex, right? The Kimberly Crenshaw, Crenshaw's intersectionality theory, like there are different levels that influence us in different ways and having those, being aware of what those different identities are and how they influence and what's, 
versions of oppression versus privilege and all of that, I think is really important to our mm -hmm. sense of self. And so I help people think about what identities they are aware of, what identities might be emerging, what identities might be shifting and, and just talking about it. And, and because there are in fact labels for almost anything, I offer people like, oh, if you want to know what that's called, this is that. And so if you wanna Google that phenomenon or that community, you can. And also you can just call yourself whatever you want. You can feel identified with whatever you want. So for example, I knew someone who called themselves straight, but real, and she was a woman and she loved having sex with women. And I was like, great, you can be straight. That's totally cool. And also there's something called uh, hetero romantic, which is just wanting to have relationships with men, which is what she wanted. But then bisexual means that you have sex with at least two different genders. And she loved that. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't pushing that she had to call herself that. It was just like, if you wanted to know more, there are people like you. Oh, wow. Oh, I love that. Because again, that kind of takes it back to what we discussed at the beginning of the podcast, which is the idea that you're not alone can actually be way yes. more empowering and way more healing than feeling like the odd person out, you know, like, oh, this is who I am, but like nobody else out there is like me. So nobody understands me kind of thing. And that's part of oppression, right? The idea that you are other, you are different. And so when you're able to find community, you don't feel as othered because now you're not alone. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. It makes such a difference. And it makes such a difference in terms of how freeing it feels to finally be able to say, this is who I am and I love it and I'm not shamed mm -hmm. by it and I can step into it. No problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. In your book, um, An Intro Guide to Sex Positive You, Lessons, mm -hmm. Tales, and Tips, which we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast as well, you address the importance of developing self-awareness through the, ex uh, the exploration of sexual identifiers um, and preferences. What do you consider the most relevant part of this internal work? I feel like there's so much that's dependent on the person. So for example, I just did a podcast last night and the person was asking about like, cis versus trans people and body parts and blah, blah, blah. And realistically, right, the idea that gender is an important aspect of who you date comes from a heteronormative world. It comes from a world that believes that straightness makes sense. And it comes from a world that people think that trans is weird, right? Mm -hmm. And so if for you, gender doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter, right? And that's it, that your love and your uh, connection to folks is not going to take into consideration gender because it's just not a relevant aspect. And so for me, what's most important is figuring out what do you care about? What matters to you? Mm -hmm. There's something um, called, oof, I'm blanking on the name, but it's by Sari V. Anders and it's like sexual, sexual configuration theory. And part of the idea is it's a 3D, um, 3D diagram in which you list like where you are across different spectrums, but also how important they are to you. And so one of the things that's important to me is that I'm polyamorous. And so I believe that I can love multiple people, multiple people at once and be with multiple people at once. Mm -hmm. And so I need to find partners that are able to respect and accept that piece of me yeah, because it is how I live. Right? Whereas I, I don't need to think about gender because I don't care about someone's gender when it comes to dating. And so that to me is the really important part, finding out what matters to you. And once you know what matters to you, how does that look? And how does it show up in your relationships? And therefore, who are you looking for that complements those needs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that balance. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. 
When the process of um, growing into our sexuality, we also discover different tastes and preferences. But mm-hmm. a lot of times, just with anything else when it comes to sex and, se- and sexuality, these get vilified. So yes. what advice can you give about getting comfortable with our quote-unquote kinks? And mm-hmm. or if, we, if we can even call them something else, but what advice would you give us in terms of how to embrace them and how to maybe pull away from the shame trap? <laughs> So I just read an article about this too. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) But one thing is that when it comes to kinks, kinks are actually becoming significantly more mainstream, right? So like the percentage of people engaging in spanking and bondage and power dynamic role play is rising and rising. So it's no longer going to be something that's on the margins, but it's still something we talk about as if it's on the margins. Yeah. The biggest thing when it comes to, I think, BDSM and kink play is being aware of what it is, or, and you don't have to be, right? There's so much in our lives that we just do. We don't think about it. But if you'd like to be critical about your experiences and different sexual encounters and different preferences, it's just what's motivating it and seeing if whatever's motivating it is something that sits well for you. I am kinky and I am a submissive or brat in the kink world. And as someone who is a feminist and assertive and dominant as fuck in my life, I, it took me a long time to feel confident in saying that and feel comfortable and not think that I was um, rejecting feminism and rejecting women's empowerment. And it, I realized that my power comes from doing what it is that makes me happy, mm-hmm. doing what it is that makes me feel confident, sexy, cared for, and free. And so because I know where my desires are coming from and what I'm seeking, and I know that I have the power and control in what that can look like, I feel very good in where I am. And for some people, their experiences and sexual um, engagements come from places of trauma, whether they're BDS, they're engaging in BDSM or vanilla sex. And that's okay. We react to things differently. Um, but being able to recognize where you are, what you want, and whether or not that feels comfortable for you. And if it does, fantastic. And if it doesn't, then you get to choose if you want to change something. Yeah. That's, that's a constant act for ourselves, like the choosing of self, you know, or the choosing of the awareness of what, like you said, what's going to work for you, what's going to make you feel safe and secure and present with, with your partner, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And even with yourself, taking it back to same in terms of masturbation or whatever, something that's going to give you the, that awakening and that connection, which also reminds me, so you've been working on a body positive movement as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. I'm part of a team of four called the Diverse Bodies Project. And the intention is to increase representation of nude photography of bodies of all ages, sizes, races, abilities, and what have you. Because when we see nude photography, it is often of the same male gaze type work, mm-hmm. or it is clinical and medical or detached. And so we sought to create something that was, I love joyful. So joyful was a motivator for me, but that was sincerely representative of the person and their experiences. And so we interview people while they're naked, mm-hmm. while they're nude, and we then do a photo shoot. And so they're physically vulnerable and nudity while being emotionally vulnerable in response to the questions, which has been a really impactful part of the process. And right now we have started sending out layouts because we're creating a coffee table book with images and quotations from those interviews. And we're having them, we're sending them all to the models so the models can approve or not approve of what we've collected. 
and then we're going to publish a book that is the intention is to have this in your home right that there here this here are these beautiful and complex human beings showing themselves talking about their experiences of body sexuality family culture and that it's normalized because it's just it it just is right by the fact of talking about it we start to normalize conversations mm-hmm. and so it has a lot of intentions and I, I really do love that project and quite excited for its outcome oh my gosh i'm so excited too i can't wait and i love that i love that because there's so much freedom in the ability of being so present within yourself naked that yeah. you give yourself into this trusting space there's so much that oh i love that i love the whole concept of that vulnerable openness you know it's just Mm -hmm. you can't hide (laughs) you know it's it seems silly but when you're fully fully naked there's there's really nothing there even psychologically I think that our our minds understand that as even from a predatory type based thing right it's like oh I don't have no I don't have any more armor so (laughs) it it takes it all down and I love that and I'm I'm getting even more excited because I just finished a photo shoot with a friend of mine Emily who's a photographer she's a phenomenal photographer down here in Houston Texas and it was me and one of my friends and and Emily and we went out into the forest. I say the forest, but really Ooh. it was more like a park and got <laughs> bare bum naked and took pictures. And it felt, I can tell you that it was probably one of the most uplifting and empowering things I've done in my life because there was that freedom of this is me. There was that vulnerable space of exactly as I am. I don't need to change a single thing about me. All of the, all of the things that get shamed in our day-to-day society kind of just out there. And it felt transformative. So I hear you talk about this project and I'm like, ah, oh, this is so amazing. <laughs> and that sounds like so much more fun. I want to go out into the woods naked and get photographed. Girl, <laughs> come out here. Up. We'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I love it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, do you have a release date for that project or not yet? We do not yet. It is a a labor of love that we all do part-time. And so it is taking a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it works. You know, that's things that are worthwhile sometimes take a little bit more more time themselves. So I like that though. (laughs) Well, what would you leave the listeners with in terms of advice on how to become empowered in their sex and sexuality? And uh, I'll ask you the last question later because I, again, I do recognize I asked too many questions at once. (laughs) I appreciate it. My memory, not so great. So um, I think that it's cheesy, right? But the, the idea that like you are there's nothing wrong with you. Like, <laughs> like you are valid. You are good. You deserve the things that make you feel good. As long as you're not harming people in a way that they don't want to be harmed, right? Like if you are kinky and that's fine. Um, yes. But that that's all okay. And wherever you are in your journey and your passage and your experience is fine. You don't need to match up to anyone else's goals. You don't need to be as free and liberated as the person next to you. You get to be where you are and you get to push yourself when you want to push yourself and grow in the ways that you want to grow and that all of that is okay. Mm. Yep. I love it. Yay. And Yael, the last question just has to do with where we can find you and how we can support you. Excellent. Uh, I am Yael the Sex Geek on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, though I'm most active on Instagram, unless you want political me, in which case that's Twitter. 
I would love for more folks to check out the book, An Injured Guide to a Sex Positive View. It's available on Amazon or on my website, kvibrations.com. And I will be at the end of the summer, I think, releasing my first online course, which will be dedicated to helping people find that sex positive them. And so it will be released on sexpositiveview.com. Yay. Ah, so many exciting things, Yale. Ah. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining me again, despite the techie troubles. <laughs> thank you, Safa. It's great because we had a completely different conversation. Oh, uh, right. It was beautiful. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. All right, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it. And if you have any questions about what you heard today, definitely go and look up Yael on her social media, on her website. Check out Kaleidoscope Vibrations, LLC. And if you have any questions for me, or if you want to talk about anything in specific, go ahead and shoot me an email at info at nourishingpaths.com and you can always connect with me via social media at nourishing underscore paths. I am going to go drink a cup of tea now and hope you have a wonderful day and I will see you next week. Mm -hmm.